You're listening to audio from Grace Hills Church in Aliso Viejo, California. For more information, visit us online at gracehills.com. All right. Thank you, Simon. Let's give it up for Simon. I know it's a lot of announcements. He was running out of breath up here. You know, it's good to see that. Um, <laughs> Uh, I'm so happy to be in front of you guys today. Uh, Simon said, my name is Justin Wickoff. I'm the youth minister here. I'm also the life groups director here at Grace Hills Church. And today we're going to be talking about the topic of assurance of salvation. Um, The reason we're talking about this is because we've been hearing a lot about um, people just having doubts and having questions. And even in my own life group, this topic has come up a number of times. I've even brought it up and be like, hey, I'm kind of starting to doubt. And I just, it... It's hard because when you hear that, as another person in the group, you see these faithful, strong Christians, and then they have this doubt about the very foundation of their belief, that there's an enemy attacking at that, and it's just, it's startling to hear sometimes, and startling to see the person that you would hear that doubt come from. But I also want to tell you, I'm someone that has had that doubt myself, even recently, and I have needed to come and reassure myself. So today, my, my goal is basically to present to you four different biblical ways that we can find our assurance. And then I also want to talk about two ways in which we tend to root our assurance in the wrong thing. But before we jump in too far, I just want to pray for us. Lord, I pray that if there is something on, that you put on my heart, that you would give me the boldness to speak it, even if it's not in my notes, Lord. I pray if there's something in my notes that I shouldn't be speaking, that you would remove it from my notes, Lord. I pray that your spirit would be operating through me. I thank you already for the peace that I am feeling in front of this congregation. And I pray that the spirit would be operating in their ears as they listen to your word, Lord. I thank you. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So... I'm going to start with some of the reasons, some of the things we look towards that can leave us unassured. And I notice there's some ringing in the mic. David, is there anything I should do to fix that? Okay, it's on them. It's not my fault. All right, we're good. The first thing that we tend to look at for the assurance of our salvation, that we tend to root our salvation, not our salvation, but our assurance in, is our actions. And the problem with rooting our our assurance in our actions is that our actions tend to change. If you've been a believer for a number of years, you might notice that there are seasons of your life where you're doing better with defending yourself against sin and and being wise and reading your Bible and praying, and there's seasons where you're not, where it's harder, where things get tricky and difficult, and the enemy is really trying to attack you. And so if our assurance, if our confidence in our salvation is resting on what we're doing, then just like those actions themselves, it might ebb and flow with time. And so we need something to root our assurance in that's going to be more solid, more secure, more objective versus subjective. The other thing that we tend to root our assurance in that would be wrong is our feelings. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Our feelings can be manipulated. Our feelings change all the time. I woke up on the wrong side of the bed last night. Now I, well, wait, I didn't wake up last night. This morning. (laughs) And now I have different feelings, right? It comes and it goes. Our feelings change. They can be changed by other people. And so again, we see this uncertainty. Also, we have a culture that believes that they don't understand that their heart is wicked, that their feelings don't always lead them to truth, right? My truth is not 
always the truth. There's a big difference there. My dad had this saying that I really liked. He said, he would deal with people at work and be like, well, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm sincere. And he'd be like, yeah, but you can be sincerely wrong, right? And that's how we are sometimes. So we can't base it off of our feelings because it can be influenced by so many things. We have to anchor our assurance in something that is unchanging. So the first thing and the most prominent thing I would say that you need to anchor your assurance in is God's word. God's word is the foundation we need for the truth of our insurance. Unlike our feelings and actions, it is a sure foundation. And the reason is, is because it is God's word. It is not man's word. God inspired man. And because it's connected to who God is, it has the characteristics of God. The first one is that it doesn't change. Malachi 3.6. God is not one that changes. He is now the same that he was yesterday and forevermore. That is who God is, and that's how his word is. He doesn't lie to us, Titus 1-2. God is not a liar or a deceiver. He speaks only truth out of pure righteousness. He cannot lie. There is no darkness in him. There is no deceit. And the third and most comforting thing is that God is good. We might feel like we don't agree with things of the Bible, but the problem is is that our heart is wicked and we don't know good like God knows good because he is good. He is perfect righteousness and we simply aren't. And God's word is very quick to reveal that and convict us on that. So those are the three reasons we can trust God's word more than our feelings and our actions because he doesn't change, he doesn't lie to us, and he's good. And he wants what's best for us because he loves us. Sometimes we don't even love ourselves, but I'm not going to go into that. So what, according to God's word, does our salvation rely? I want to give the example of Abraham. Abraham was this man that was long before uh, Christ had come into the flesh, into the world. And Abraham decided to believe in God's promises. It took a lot of attempts. He failed. He tried to do it on his own several times. But at one point in Genesis 15, 5, 6, it says, it's talking about the Lord talking to Abraham, and he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he, Abraham, believed the Lord, and he counted counted it to him as righteousness. God said a promise to Abraham that he would have a son that he would have this great offspring. And Abraham was able to believe in God's promise, in what God's word to him was. Romans 4.21, Paul talks about this moment. And he says, he did not weaken in faith, talking about Abraham, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which is as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham was saved because he believed in God's promise. He believed in God's word. He knew that if God said he could do it, he would. And I love how Paul continues this, verse 23. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, 
but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. If we put our belief, if we put our hope and our trust in what Jesus did, it will be counted to us as righteousness. Believing is what brings us salvation. Believing God's promise, believing his word. The Bible makes this clear to us, even in other places. Romans 10, 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. How simple is that? It's, it's crazy that we would doubt, that believers would doubt. Romans 8, 1, there is thou, this is my favorite one, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Whenever I'm starting to have doubts, whenever I'm starting to feel guilt and shame, I go, where is this coming from? Is this coming from conviction from the Holy Spirit? Most of the time, sometimes, yes. Sometimes it's coming from the enemy trying to attack me and trying to make me doubt the fact that there is no condemnation. I have to say, no, there's no condemnation. I am in Christ Jesus. So regardless of our doubts, we can trust God's word that if we believe in Jesus, we will be saved. We have to anchor ourselves in his promise. It is the foundation of not only our faith, it is the foundation of our assurance. And I want to make something clear. You can have, you can be saved and not be sure of it. And the scarier thing, unfortunately, is that you can be sure that you're saved and not be saved. And I think that's the thing that drives our fear. The second thing that um, we can anchor our assurance in is the work of the Holy Spirit. The first thing the Holy Spirit does is he leads us to call upon God and to trust in him. Romans 8, 15 through 16, it says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. It also says this in 1 Corinthians 12, 3. This is kind of optional, I'm throwing it in. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is what leads our heart to cry out from God to God. If you have had that Abba Father moment, if you have that relationship with God, that means you have the Holy Spirit. And my next point, I'm gonna say why that's so important for, why that, that's so telling of our salvation. But first, I wanna break this down just a little bit further here. Notice that there's the spirit of slavery that causes us to fall back into fear versus the spirit of God, which calls us to go to God, crying, Abba, Father. Abba, Father is this intimate phrasing of God. It's this personal relationship. It's like, he, it's like a little child calling out to their dad. So the spirit enables that. It's an interesting thing about fear. We know that fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? But that fear kind of changes as our relationship develops with him. It might start out in a fear of God's judgment, what he can do in our repentance of his sin, knowing that we are sinners in the hands of an angry God. But slowly that relationship starts to morph to where we don't, where we can feel like we can go to God with the things that we have in our hearts and in our lives, that we can cry out to him, Abba, Father. And that's because the Spirit is transforming that relationship we have with him. 
I like to use the analogy of, because fear is really believing that there's something that has more control over you or more power over you. So if you think about a little boy who's scared of spiders, and so he sees a spider, he's scared of it, and then he runs to his dad. Well, if you think about it, a fully grown man has way more control over someone than a spider. Way more deadly, way more harmful, but the difference is the relationship that he has with the dad. And the relationship is that, man, there's something scary in my life. I'm gonna go to the more powerful thing, my father who I trust, I'm gonna run to him. You see how that relationship has changed, that we are now able to approach God, to run to him, crying, Abba, Father, that there is this relationship. If you have that, then I wanna give you some assurance of your faith. The Holy Spirit is in you that has brought that on in your life. It says that the Holy Spirit seals us. I'm looking for it. <laughs> Why am I not finding it? There it is, Ephesians 1.13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit tends to bear witness that we are children of God. And I wanna think about that phrasing. What is a witness? What does a witness do? And I think a witness is a part of kind of providing an evidence, showing us a testimony of the truth, something that's, that's evidence of reality. The way I think about it is the Holy Spirit leaves behind evidence in your life of this transformation occurring. And this evidence is what we call the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And the reason I say this is because it says that we are led by the Spirit of God, our sons of God. And he, he what does he do? Bears witness. So he leaves behind this evidence. And that evidence is Galatians 5, 22, 23, the fruit of the Spirit. What it produces is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The Spirit can assure us by showing us the evidence <laughs> by showing us the evidence of transformation in our life as we are growing into these things, growing in love, growing in joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness. Self-control is so opposite to our human nature. If you even are desiring self-control, you probably have the spirit in you. Because our human nature loves the pride of life, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, all these things. But the spirit desires self-control, in particular to God's commandments. But if you're anything like me, even though you know the God, what God's word says, and I remember even when I was a kid, I asked my mom, like, do you think I'm saved? And she was like, well, do you have the Holy Spirit? And I said, yes, but I still wasn't sure. And I had transformation in my life, but I'm such a doubter of myself that I couldn't see it. So I want to look back at James, I know we left that book. You guys are like, really, going back? Get over it, no. There's this really cool verse at the end of James that I wanna talk through. It says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. I'm gonna skip the Elijah bit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The times in my life that I was the most doubtful was the times that I was the most wandering, that I was letting sin wrap me up, 
that I was letting the enemy attack me, that I wasn't walking in the spirit, I wasn't putting up a guard to it. And sometimes in that wandering, we just automatically default to our very foundation. We go, well, I must not be saved because I'm wandering. And I want you to know there's room in scripture for those that are believers that are saved and yet are acting in a fleshly way. That can happen. In Corinthians, Paul addresses a people like this. He says, but I, brothers, could not address you as a spiritual people, but as people as the flesh, as infants in Christ. He's talking to a church of believers, and yet he's telling them, you guys are acting in the flesh right now. You're acting as if you just became a believer, and you don't know how any of this works. And he calls out the sins in their life. Jealousy and strife were among them. So sometimes the question doesn't need to be, I'm going through a hard time right now. Am I sure I'm even saved? That's what the enemy wants you to hear. Sometimes the question can just be as simple as, am I being faithful right now? Because your actions don't affect your salvation, but your actions might affect your assurance of it. Whether you are in God's word and praying to him, I want to know something about these verses as well. Who does God use to bring these people back? The people that wandered. Who are, what does God do? Does he say, hey, there's going to, James doesn't say, hey, there's going to be people that wander. Don't worry about them. I'm going to come down, meet them on the road of Damascus. I'm going to reel them right back in. He says, no, I want you to be praying for these people. I want you to go out and search for them, to go and get them. There's someone that wanders from the truth and someone brings them back. Let them know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. He encourages us, go and find these people. Remind them of the truth. Pray with them. We call it in our life group, giving the gospel to one another. We have to remind each other of the simple truths of the gospel. We have to go back into verses like, hey, you're feeling guilty and shameful. There is no condemnation if you put your life in Christ. If you believe and confess that the Lord Jesus is the Son of God, you are saved. Regardless of how you feel, regardless of what your actions are showing right now in this season, if that is true of you, you are saved. That's a promise from God. And that helps. And I've been in that room when that's had to be said to me. Let's say other Christians are so important. Fellowship in the faith is so crucial for our life, for a healthy spiritual life where we can live in joy. John was very passionate about encouraging people about their salvation and their assurance. He wrote the letter of 1 John, and a lot of this letter is really written to assure people their salvation. I encourage you, if you need assurance, go read that letter. It might be more convicting, <laughs> but remember the basics of it is that you believe in Jesus. But I notice how he ends his letter. It says, I write these things to you after he's written everything, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. He wanted them to know. He knew that they had it. He wanted them to know that they had it. Now let's look at the first thing he addresses in his letter when he's listing out all these things that are um, just byproducts of a believer's life that they can look to and point to and say, this is happening because the Holy Spirit's in me because I believe in Jesus. That's what I can look at. 
His first one, he says in 1 John 3, 4, that which we have seen and we have heard, we proclaim also to you the gospel of who Jesus was, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Fellowship with God and one another so that all of our joy may be complete. The Christian life is not a solo act. It is not just you in a room with the Bible. That's not what God calls us to. He calls us to fellowship. A healthy Christian life has Christian fellowship in it. Fellowship, the root of that word, comes from common, what we have in common. And what's so cool about the church is that there's a lot of people in this room that have not a lot in common, but they have one thing, and that's that they believe in Jesus. And because of that, we can have fellowship with one another. I tell you, the, the reason that I am even here on this stage is not because Justin spent a bunch of time alone with God. It's because God put a bunch of people in my life to show me who he was. The reason I know that to keep the idea of God, there's no condemnation, and the reason I have that in my heart is because someone taught me that verse. The reason that I know that God loves me is because I've seen people who are spirit-led love me so well, and it shows me that that's coming from God, not from them. There's actually a really interesting thing. I, I told you I was very unassured of my salvation for a while. I would always doubt and go back and forth. And um, the reason was because I wasn't seeing transformation in my life, and mostly because I doubt myself and I'm very critical of myself. And, you know, you don't really trust the words of the people that are closest to you, like your mom being like, what do you mean? You're the brightest boy ever. You're the best. <laughs> All right, mom, you're a little biased, right? Got a little bit too much in on this. Or my wife, Katie, it's like, yeah, I know that you're in love with me. Like, I don't know what you see in me, but clearly there's something wrong. Um, so God used someone in my life that would have no bias towards having to assure me. There was this person, her name was Samantha. We had grown up in the church together, and she was a friend of a friend, and I was kind of jealous of how much time she spent with this friend of mine, and so I used to treat Samantha poorly. And when I was in high school, I was kind of a bit of a bully, and I would slander her, and I would make fun of her for being homeschooled, which was so hypocritical, because I was homeschooled <laughs> at that time. And I did a lot of dumb stuff, and I said a lot of dumb stuff. And I didn't think that she heard those things or she really knew, but she did. Because it came out one time, years later, way after high school, even after graduating Biola, I ended up at a church plant in Los Angeles, and we were in a life group, and she joined our life group. And everything was great, and I didn't even really think about all the things that I had done wrong against her. And I was in life group, and I was sharing about the doubts that I was having about how my life wasn't transformed, and just, I was in this tough spot. I was looking for a job, I was looking for ministry. I, didn't, I wasn't sure what was going on, and I was doubting myself so much, and I was being hard on myself. And so God used her, <laughs> to say, Justin, the guy that bullied me in high school, 
The guy that made fun of me, that hurt me so much, is not the man that I see before me today. She was like, I knew the worst of who you were. I felt that. There's pain from that. But I've seen now how much God has brought you along. And so her witness, her testimony about transformation in my life was something that I was able to finally go and rely on. It was able to assure me so much. I was just in tears because I knew that that was God assuring me. And I knew that she had no reason to do that. She had no reason to say that to me other than that the Spirit directed her. People can help each other so much with our doubts. I have seen it over and over and over again. God uses us to encourage one another, to build one another up. God used someone who only knew me for tearing them down to then build me up, which is just insane to me still. So my prayer for you is one that you would be assured, that you would trust God in his word like Abraham did, that you would believe in Jesus, that there is no condemnation for you, that you have your life sealed in him, that his death was enough, that his sacrifice was enough to cover all of your sins, past, present, and future, that eternal life when it was granted to you and that new life is eternal. It doesn't end. It's not the next month suddenly, oh, I don't have it anymore. If you had it, you always have it, and you can rest in that because it's promised by God. It's regardless of your actions. It's regardless of how you feel. Every one time that you look at your actions, you need to look 10 times at Jesus's because that's where your salvation's found. If we confess with our mouth and believe that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you have a relationship with God that cries out, Abba, Father, if you have this personal relationship that isn't afraid to go to him, that is evidence in your life of the Holy Spirit working on your heart to change your relationship with him. If you have had transformation in your life, I I pray that you would look towards that evidence and that you would anchor yourself and say, God is at work in me. I'm not the person I used to be. I hunger for self-control. I hunger for joy and for love and for encouraging others and for God's word. That is so against human nature. You would not have those good desires without the Holy Spirit. The second thing I pray for you is that you would be someone that's reassuring, that you would be ready to encourage others, that you would be ready to build them up, that when doubts show up in your life groups, when these questions are raised, that you would know people well enough to be able to encourage them and say, no, I see this in you, I see this in you, you love me in this way, I only see God in you, and I I want to encourage you, there's no condemnation for you, that I, I know that you believe in Jesus. Don't let the enemy get to you. Just, it should break our hearts when we hear that. And lastly, my prayer is that our joy in this church would be complete because of us encouraging one another, because of our assurance of faith. Because here's the reason that the enemy wants to attack your assurance of your salvation. 
Because if, you, if he can get you to be tripped up, if he can get you to be so concerned about yourself and about your salvation, you are going to ignore, you are not going to care about the salvation of others. If he can get you stuck, he knows that you're saved, but if he can get you stuck at that childlike phase where you're just like going back to the foundation as a beginning believer and questioning the very root of it, if he can get you there, then that means that you aren't going to be that person that says, I have salvation. I have no fear of death. There is nothing that man can do to me. I have one person to fear, and even in him, I can cry out, Abba, Father, and run to him. What do I have to fear? What can separate me from the love of God? What can man do to my flesh? If there is a God who can destroy my soul, and he has accepted me and says there's no condemnation for me, there is nothing I have to fear. I can go out and proclaim his name. Jesus has loved me. I want others to know that now. But if we don't know that, if we have to keep questioning ourselves, we never take that next step. And that's what the enemy wants. He doesn't want you to go out and find the wandering. He wants them to wander. He doesn't want you to show up and point them back to the truth. If you're doing this walk alone, I I just encourage you to join a life group. I know I'm a little biased, but I've, I've shared. I mean, there's that one time that I was really encouraged was in a life group. The second time, this whole question of asking, like, am I faithful? That came from Simon talking directly to me in a life group where I shared the doubts that I was having. It's a place where you can be open, you can share, and you can let believers help you because that's who God chooses to use to help us on our walk. I hope that you're assured today. I know that we're a congregation of believers. I see the love in you. It's so clear in your hospitality and your care for one another. And so hearing that we would doubt about this breaks my heart. And I hope that the things I've shared with you today would help you as much as they've helped me. I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna step into communion. Dear Lord, I pray for our congregation. I pray that they would be assured. I pray, Lord, that if there's someone in their life that knows them well, that's seen the transformation, Lord, that you would use them this week to speak into their life, to list the good works they've seen in them, to show them, to encourage them, to build them up, Lord. I pray that we'd be a congregation that anchors ourselves in your word, in your promises, that we believe that if you say that Jesus' death that his sacrifice, that his crucifixion and resurrection was enough to cover our sins, that it was enough to cover our sins. I pray that we would be patient with one another. I pray that we'd be patient with ourselves and that we'd know that there is nothing that can stop us to running to you. There is nothing in the way anymore. We have full access, Lord. I thank you for what you've done, Lord. You know, I pray, amen.